This is Bespoke, a podcast exploring the making of bespoke objects and experiences. Devised and hosted by Adriana Pace-Kent. Okay. Hello. Sorry. Before I start, (laughs) as you may have gathered, uh, I'm losing my voice slightly, which is not the best condition to host a podcast. So um, thank you very much for all coming this evening and a very warm welcome to Cromwell Place and to a discussion about shaping art in conversation, um, where we'll explore how collectors can move from building a collection to commissioning a bespoke work and the rich and rewarding adventure that follows. I'm Adriana Pace-Kent, I'm founder of Woven Spaces, a creative property development company that unlocks value in commercial buildings and shapes meaningful places. So first, let me introduce you to our brilliant panel. Kate Sweeney is the founder of Perspective, a leading art consultancy specialising in the curation of fine art collections in a variety of architectural spaces. Kate was a senior manager at Sotheby's New York before becoming an independent advisor for various corporations, design firms, institutions and private collectors. Her career in the contemporary art world has spanned over 25 years and includes international experience in a multitude of countries, predominantly within the UK, Europe, USA and the Middle East. Kate has strategically delivered large-scale, complex initiatives and has developed inspiring art programmes around the globe. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for being here. Um, So, Carlin Fear is a multidisciplinary placemaking expert with over 20 years' experience in the real estate industry. Her expertise in destination creation through placemaking, branding and communications with international experience across Europe, the Middle East and the US. Carlin formerly headed up public art at Battersea Power Station, one of the largest and most exciting regeneration projects in London. She recently founded her own agency, Fear and Folk, which delivers comprehensive marketing campaigns and events programmings for brands in the commercial, residential and retail sectors. Carlin, it's really a pleasure to have you here with us. So my third guest is Francesca Prieto, a visual artist from Chile. She has lived and worked in London since studying at Central St Martins in 2001. Her practice combines collected fragments of history with the architectural principles of space, line and structure to document and give voice to the disregarded. In fact, you can see some of her works here in the room this evening. So, place and art go hand in hand. Often, art is used as a catalyst to create new places or add value to existing space. It invites and inspires an ecosystem of collaboration where commissioner and artists alike bring new perspectives and ideas to transform an area, adding layers of meaning and opening new paths for exploration. This journey is hugely rewarding and unlocks a wealth of opportunity, but it's not without its challenges. For an artist, welcoming a commissioner into their practice can be daunting. How do you move through a unique process and find a shared language and synergy with a client? Is it possible to harmonise the commercial and the cultural in this context? What can we do to engage more people to commission with confidence and come forward as storytellers and future patrons? We'll be exploring these and other ideas in our conversation this evening. So, to start off, Kate, how do you help a corporate client go from building a collection to commissioning a bespoke work? 
Well, it is a bit of a challenge, I can admit to that. And as we know, corporations like certainty. They don't like jumping into the unknown. So we have to kind of calm the nerves and sort of show them example projects that um, other artists have done that will sort of make them relax a little bit and say, okay, it can be done. It's not that daunting. We can we can handle this. So we kind of take them step by step through the whole process. And we talk about the positives, and there are many positives. One being that the um, client becomes a collaborator versus a procurement officer. So they become part of the whole commissioning process. They kind of can guide the artist, they can guide the creative team. They're a part of that work as opposed to just buying something off the shelf that they might um, not get as much satisfaction from. And they can tell their own story through the art as well. Um, and through a practical side of things, they know that it's gonna fit in the space. Fantastic. Um, Carlin, what does commissioning the public realm look like? And how can we use art to shape place and add value to existing spaces? Well, I think for the most part, um, adding values is the tricky one. Typically, from a developer's point of view, that comes from driving footfall. Um, but I think it's about making a place more accessible and welcoming to the public. And having something that is an art piece is engaging and, and something that speaks to the wider community and changing the perception of a place that may have been tired or old and now it's exciting and new. Mm. And kind of short-circuiting people's expectations, exactly. I imagine, of what they might encounter. Mm -hmm. That's really For interesting. Sure. And so kind of building on this, how do you manage what seems like a tension between the commercial and the cultural in this context? Well, that's an interesting one because I think you have to start with a cultural element. Um, something that resonates with the community will be what speaks to them. And typically, if you start with the commercial, that will pretty much, I think, backfire right away. You have to find something that um, speaks to the audience in an authentic way. And then you can build on it commercially from there, I think, by adding various layers to it after that point. But I think if you were to always start with the commercial objective, you're likely to, to fall flat pretty quickly. So, Kate, what makes a good brief? Um, you know, how do you get to the root of what the client really wants? Yeah, and it is the fundamental part of, of the commission, really. <laughs> and, and Francisca's nodding because she knows as from the artist's perspective, they need as much information as possible. So you kind of... You, there's different parts to the brief. So you, you kind of dissect the, the client's background, the audience, um, what they're trying to achieve in the site. Carlin and I have been through a million of these things. What are we trying to accomplish here? Um, for the artist, they want to know about the architectural details and the technical details, the size of the space, what can and can't we do, the lighting, all these sorts of things that come into it. Um, and then the logistical things too. One of the biggest questions that comes up sometimes is how big is the lift? Because we need to know if the piece is going to fit in the lift. Um, and then of course budget comes into the brief, the timeline, all that sort of thing. And, and kind of 
grasping the, the client's aesthetic as well. So we often do taste tests with the client that, you know, will show a wide variety of artists and see what what makes their eyes pop, you know, what, what makes them excited about a certain artist's work and how we can relay that in the brief too. And we come up with different words to, to kind of depict what the client's looking for. Can you give us an example of a really good brief? Yes, a client in the US, um, new headquarters for 3,000 staff, a sort of sprawling open uh, reception atrium space. And we sat down with them, looked at a dif different artists, kind of considered, okay, what do they like? What do they not like? Because sometimes you want to know what they don't like as much as what they like. And they really told us everything about the company and what they were trying to achieve. It was about humanity and diversity. This particular client was more about the people in the company than what the company does and who the company is. It was all about the, the human aspect. And the artists, we did a competition, the artists came up with different um, proposals, but one artist, actually a duo, they put together a sphere of humans that were connected in this global sort of piece. And it touched on every element of the brief and what the client was trying to achieve. And that just won the day immediately. Um, and the, the woman from one of the um, staff from HR said, I'm gonna show this piece to every new staff member here, every visitor, and it's gonna tell our story perfectly. I thought that was really touching, actually, that the art was going to tell the client's story for the, the visitors. Wonderful. I mean, I guess this goes to kind of the point of, Colin, probably what you have to manage, which is kind of translating brand identity and corporate values into a work of art that also has wonderful kind of resonance and meaning. Yes, um, for the most part, I would say that trying to keep brand identity out of the work is, is key, <laughs> unless in the subtle way that Kate has managed to achieve it with the client that she was just describing. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I often describe to my clients is what we are doing is not about us. It's about those who we're trying to engage with or attract to our sites. And so, therefore, it really has to speak to the public rather than be about patting ourselves on the back or, or about our own brand identity. And I think once you have those conversations with the client or, you know, my bosses in the past, et cetera, you know, you can begin to to mold that. And, and they really do understand it because while they may want to show off a bit corporately, I think in the end, they understand what the ultimate goal is and, and they will acquiesce to your uh, recommendations if you if you frame it properly and I think by having the right brief and someone like Kate you know then you can go in and and kind of explain that story and what's needed. As an artist Francesca how do you welcome a kind of commissioner into your practice and and share the process with them to deliver a result that is satisfying for both parties I think that's what's so interesting about commissioning a work of art is that there is very much a distinct voice involved. And how do you yeah. share that? Well, the first conversation is very casual. Um, usually um, they approach you and they say, look, I'm, I'm looking for something like this. Uh, they, they will tell you about the project. 
And then I do ask, why why me? Why do you think I am a right fit for it? So, so Because you really need to understand what they're looking for. For example, my work takes so long to make, so I need to be passionate about it and I need to understand it well. And I not always have the materials that I'm working with to start, uh, so I need to find them, study them and explore them before I can make a proposition. Uh, my way of doing a proposal usually is working, uh, showing past work and explaining the process. But I have to say that in the commissioner's sites, it's a lot about trust. Mm. So you can't kind of share like sketches or work in progress Not or anything? Not at the beginning when you're they're committing to it. Because um, uh, in some instances, I have to, had, uh, to find the material for a commission. In other instances, I have to grow a collection they already have. So just nautical maps... Uh, nautical charts and maps. In another instance, I was given the material. So in that case, it was amazing. It was a commission I was working with Cage and I couldn't believe it because it took me about five years to collect enough bonds to do one piece. And then I was working with Kate for a financial company. And we gave her all the all the And they offered the me boxes of boxes. I mean, I, I couldn't believe where I can choose from the most amazing material, the quality. I, I would have never managed to collect all that. And that's interesting. So the client that you were working with, as part of the commission, had they always wanted to open up their archive? Or no. was this inspired this by Francis's work? Exactly, which was the beautiful thing, that we had a boardroom, just a wide open space, sort of six meters long. What do we do in this board? It was a blank canvas. What do we do in the boardroom? And then we started looking at different artists and I presented Francisca's work and we saw the paper and that's interesting and you know how she puts these 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 um sculptural kind of installations together and then hang it, it sort of just developed from there well we want to tell the history of the company so maybe we could think about the archives and could we use the archives as the actual artwork it was a creative Process it was that, a conversation. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Was. Yeah. Um, so, Francis, can you can you talk to a little bit about your work and your process? The thing is, uh, the basic would be I'm interested in the uh, traces of humanity embedded in material, and uh, I love all forgotten printed material. I have worked with old wheels and maps. Uh, musical charts, chemical books, uh, anything that is old and forgotten, all railway tickets. I did a whole series with all, not this one, it was another, all railway tickets that will uh, be suspended in there. And from the side, you see how the colors appear and from the front, uh, only a line. I was inspired by, by a dissertation by Rochenko. So they're all different. The commission that I've done most is uh, called Traces of Absence and it's it's about documenting with these materials because an old book, for example, is closed or you see one page at a time. And and I I look at them very carefully, study them, I research and, and find the best bits and fold them and put them together to create a story, to take it out. So it's, it's my own story and the other story. So I'm building up. I, I always work thinking in the next generation and they wouldn't have seen these things. They're disappearing and they don't have access at it. So, for example, if you show a children a railway ticket, they say, like, what is it, a bookmark? And you say, no, a railway ticket. How do you tap it? I mean, <laughs> it, 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 everything is changing and I'm really trying it's to hang on as well. <laughs> yes. So what are the challenges for you on, 
in taking on a commission both kind of practically and artistically? Well, there are some challenges. I think think (laughs) the main practical one is time in every sense. Personally, I'm always years behind where I would want to be in exploring <laughs> ideas because the work is so slow. So I'm always behind. And, and clients <laughs> don't understand that when they have a deadline. Well, I imagine that's part of the challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Is managing those expectations around time. Yeah. Also, the work takes between three months to up to a year. And usually they approach me and say, like, oh, I would love to have a piece and this big and... And they give you three months and it's like, that's impossible. I need to find maybe the material or I need to explore it. Um, So some you have to turn down straight away. When when you're working on your own, it just flows and you're pushing the boundaries and really experiment and go for it. The actual commission takes longer. Suddenly you're part of a team and the communication increases quite a bit. and, And you have to do formal presentations. And and then you have to explain the vision that you have. It's in your mind, but you have to explain it to make it available for everyone. Suddenly, you're not the only decision maker. You have to wait for decisions to be made. So it, it's more fragmented, I'll say, the creation. On the other hand, uh, a commission really helps because you're being supported and usually you're encouraged to be very ambitious. Mm-hmm. You might be adapting the format that you're working with. And it's a good way to push your practice, a good time to say, going for it there's a myth that artists just create i mean i wish you have to cover all these technicalities as well and and when you work with someone who's experienced they'll guide you through and support you through these so um kate and carlin how do you manage expectations with the pressure of a timeline and steer the creative conversation effectively that is rewarding to everyone in the room um Well, the biggest thing, I'm sure Carlin will agree to this, is getting the curator, art consultant, artist involved early, as early as possible, because the conversation is very different if it's when the building is just about to open or the site is nearly ready. The artist can't contribute what they could if they were involved from early on, and then they're always fighting against the clock, and then they're rushed for their creative process and then they're you know it's 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 just an uphill battle if it's too late and so i mean we have just a little example um a project where the client wanted an aerial sculpture and they had set the space where they wanted it without consulting artist art consultant even architect they kind of sort of set the space okay it's going to go right at the entrance right as you walk in the door fine so they put the support structure in just that space we come along six months later and we're ready to do a competition with um, a few artists and they all sort of say well can we use the entire ceiling or are we just limited to this one space and so of course it's going to cost five times as much because now we have to open up the ceiling and and put support structure in and so forth. So the key is to, to really get that conversation going as early as possible. Totally agree. 100% being yeah. involved with the right teams. I remember when there was a 10 ton piece that was to be delivered and the width of the piece meant you couldn't walk past it. I ended up giving the piece back because I couldn't cite it. It was really unfortunate because it was a great piece, but as much as the brief is important and getting like the overall concept right and the brand positioning right, you know, it's those technical details, which 
take more time usually to sort out that are so essential to the success of the project. (laughs) I guess my last question is just, do you have any advice for collectors who are looking to commission? Be brave, (laughs) be brave. In most instances, uh, the artist can create a rendering that is almost what you're gonna be getting. Sometimes it's not that easy, as Francisco can attest to that, that sometimes you never know what it's going to look like. A lot of my clients are always saying, give me the the 25%, don't give me the 80%, meaning don't show me when it's 80% finished, because I, I want to see the whole step-by-step process. So I think my advice to, to clients, if you're working directly with an artist, make sure you get the the 10%, the 25%, the 50% and kind of, you know, you don't want to overcrowd the artist, of course, but, but um, take it slow, take mm-hmm. it slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely agree with Kate on that, but also make sure that you get someone involved in the process who can almost be that mediator between yourself and the artist. I, I think that's incredibly important because I think sometimes the client has their own goals and and they can be probably overbearing on what they want to the artist um, and the producer. And if there's someone who sits between them like a Kate or myself who can kind of Soften help- in the blow. <laughs> exactly, and just help manage expectations and, and make sure that everyone's on the same page from the start, you know, I really think it will result in a much more successful end. Francesca, any last kind of... Yeah, um, I totally agree. I'll say that if someone is interested in to commission, first you have to research, know the artist. So, so look at their career. You can't just approach them. You have to see how they have evolved and try to know them personally. And I think studio visits are a great way of knowing an artist. I would say have an open conversation as well because you never know where it's going to take you. And I will agree from the very beginning, include the artist. I I would I would add that and I'll say like um, trust trust the artist as well you you need trust because if they have proven a consistency throughout their career in quality and and, uh, of ideas and the work I mean you don't need to worry I mean usually but no I'd say no and uh, I say go for it I mean surrounding yourself and others with art is priceless so fantastic thank you well um I think we'd love to open up the conversation to the audience. Hi. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you so much. That was very interesting. Um, I'm interested in, in the process that happens before the client is excited about commissioning art. So that education aspect, I, I know some countries have that 1% program where you are forced to have uh, public art in your in your um, development. But how, how do you guys go about that education of getting new clients to understand the value of art? Uh, I think it's about showing how other uh, developments or other estates have managed to achieve success. I mean, one of the easiest examples is Canary Wharf, when it was Brownfield site, before they even had a single building there. How did they draw people to that location? Olympia in New York, before it was even Canary Wharf Group, put public art down there because that was a way that they used to get people interested in a site that was kind of not in the center of town and out of it. And it's it's that kind of education process that I think if you can explain that to the client from an early outset as to how to really drive footfall and engage with the local community through art, 
you can show them those historical examples, case studies, then you can really help kind of make your case to, to do the same at your location. In some instances, too, the architect can be a promoter of, of sometimes they don't want the art, they don't want to, you know, ruin their building. But in other instances, the, the architect is a great way of uh, kind of an introduction to the client to say, I think we need to think about this. Yeah, I think it's about providing points of exploration with their space mm -hmm. and moments of connection and particularly if the work is responsive in some way to either the context or the audiences and the people who pass through it I think it can add this kind of unlock um, new experiences and again kind of short circuit expectations which can be really really powerful yeah and I think these days it's a lot about what tenants expect and what people expect from their workspaces or the places that they live and I think just having a box standard office building is no longer that exciting to most tenants out there. Um, I was wondering how you will feel like social media and social media trends has affected art, particularly in terms of people wanting like, the newest, most vibrant thing when it's such slow, beautiful um, processes that you're dealing with. You know, I find that Social media doesn't necessarily have to be the thing that's newest. Um, I will often find things that have been installed. For instance, the love sculpture that we had outside 99 Bishopsgate, and I want to say 2015, 2014. You know, that Robert Indiana sculpture has been around. There are six love sculptures since, what, the 80s, 90s, you know? It was one of the most beloved pieces that we had ever had outside that building. And, you know, for us, the exciting part was watching people get inside the O and take pictures and, you know, and posting it on social. And for me, that's when I know something is successful is when I see a number of people taking pictures and it going up on social and they're engaging with the piece. And I typically stand behind them. And I'm like taking picture, people taking pictures of my thing, you know, and that's when I know that it's actually worked when it just sits there and people aren't engaging with the piece in that way, in that kind of modern way, then I think of it as more of a, a challenge or a fail. Any other questions? Thank you. Um, I was going to ask you about how you define community um, to help developers feel that they're working with their target audience and also challenging themselves to look beyond the red line. Um, because I think with the importance of diversity and inclusion and also the social impact of a lot of what you're describing, you know, how, how do we reach a different audience and define that and then hold ourselves to account with the value that we've created? That one's coming to me, hasn't yeah. it? Okay. Um, just joking. Um, yeah, so I think that's a very interesting question. I mean, as with a lot of schemes, you have multiple audiences as you have multiple stakeholders. I think art and placemaking, you know, can appeal to a variety of audiences. And it's just trying to find that balance with whatever you're creating that hopefully has enough mass appeal. Art is very subjective. And everyone is not always going to like the same thing. It's pretty much a guarantee. But as long as you can get a number of people on side, and I think that's one of the reasons that I always like rotating art programs as well, because that helps <laughs> achieve that. Each year you can put a new piece there. If somebody didn't like it last year, they may like it this year. But, you know, I think it's, it's developing programs. And yes, maybe that one art piece wouldn't fit everyone's taste. But then you do other events and activations around that site that do appeal to those various audiences. 
Um, may I ask, uh, given the perhaps the challenges of of the risk managing risk and expectation within within the commission structure, um, what role does that play when working with promoting the work of young and emerging artists? Um, I'll I'll tackle that one um, because we lately we've been working with um, young artists just out of university, one in university. And it's a whole different mindset. It's really incredible. It's wonderful, I have to say. But compared to working with somebody like Francisca, who has 20 years of experience, we really are taking each step very slowly and very carefully, too. Because it's daunting for the young artists, but it's also daunting for the client as well. Because this is really brand new um, to the point they've never done an invoice before. You know, simple things that we all take for granted, they've just never done before. And when you make a win like that, I was going to say, I think it's incredibly rewarding for the client to kind of have made that discovery and go, that was ours. Like, that's a first. We didn't just bring something that's been done 20 times over and then do, you know, I think if you can find that niche and do it right, then... You've knocked it out of the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then for the artists, of course, to put that on their CV, it's just a win-win. Yeah. What a brilliant story to end with. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, that's great. <laughs> so I, I really hope our conversation today will inspire more collectors to connect and commission and um, to shape a bespoke work in conversation with an artist. Until next time, thank you so much. It's goodbye from me, Adriana Pace-Kent, and a massive thank you to Cromwell Place and my incredible guests. Thank you. This is Bespoke.